Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you have those notes that are in your Wickle Bulletin, I encourage you to take those out. They're going to aid us this morning as we walk through... Uh, these next 11 verses, and I, I really do pray that God will help me today to speak with uh, comfort and encouragement and with clarity, uh, that it would provide us confidence and conviction, uh, that we would be steadfast and immovable this morning as we look at this. Um, if you know me, I am a horrible driver. We were just driving this weekend, uh, and uh, everyone said it. I was in denial for many, many years. But I am a horrible driver. Uh, I think I'm pretty good, at least in my mind. I think I'm pretty good. Uh, but then there's not enough people that would ride with me, uh, that or would follow me, that begin to realize it's just not true. You're like you're not a good driver, and so uh, it took a little bit to get that. But I, there's reasons why uh, I'm not a good driver. Uh, oftentimes in the hurry, um, and I'm really horrible with directions. I, uh, I can get into, I've gone to many of some of your houses or to go over to your, your place to, for dinner, and you can give me directions into your subdivision and to your house, and I can't make my way out of your subdivision back onto whatever main road there is from going to your place. And so uh, I, I, I've been so grateful with apps and, and smartphones that would give me aid, that would help me to be able to navigate through things. And that's the struggle I have. But if we begin to look at each of our lives, there's, there's times, there's things in our lives that mean we really, if we just had to have some help, we could, we could get over the hump, right? So, and, and that might be relationally, you think, man, if I just had, somebody could help me. Um, or this Valentine's Day, there might be that you've lost a loved one. Um, or you may, in your singleness, whether single again or um, a constant singleness, that you think, man, I, I just had somebody that would come alongside of me and it could be a, helper to me. Uh, you might uh, be a variety of things. There might be a struggle in your life. You just think, man, I, I've always struggled or wrestled with this one particular area in my life, and I just wish I had some help. Or I've just always wrestled. I've always this nagging uh, lack of knowledge about a certain thing or maybe even a lack of assurance, and I just wish I had some help. And this is the context of the passage that we've been studying. This is why Paul's writing these letters. He's trying to provide them encouragement by the truth of God's word that there is help for you. Number one, that we don't have to do it on our own. It's not about self-effort and us uh, attempting just try to improve our lives by self-enhancement. Uh, God is, is going to help us. And so the truth of God's word is going to help us. And then with that, there's a, a means by them when others would come in and try to discourage us or distract us or deceive us uh, to uh, whatever means that, that the devil attempts to try to uh, bring doubt and disharmony, discouragement, division, as we're even going to see in this passage, that the Bible says oh, there's a means that you can provide help. And that help is the Spirit of God. God's Spirit is, the Bible calls it, the helper. And when I'm Jesus speaking, when I leave, I will send you the helper. And it's to your advantage that I leave that the helper would come and help you. And that's what's availed to us is the helper that would provide us clarity, to give us wisdom, 
to allow us to have interpretation of the Scripture, to enable us to turn from sin and to walk by faith. And that we, we don't have to be, as I am, uh, wrestling and struggling with directions, that He will grant us wisdom. He will grant us clarity. And He will help us. There are those times where we're overwhelmed with emotion. He provides us self-control. Those times that we are desired in our flesh to be fearful, to worry, to, to, to the point of anxiety that it might lead to a panic attack. The Bible says, I will give you peace. And a peace that is such that surpasses all understanding. That will actually stand guard of your heart and of your mind. That we're complaining and disgruntledness abounds. And the Bible says there will be joy. Where there's a lack of kindness and a lack of love for one another. Where everyone's out for themselves appears to be in our culture. The Bible says that you'll have love. No greater love than this. A person be willing to lay down their life for their friends. And this is work of the Spirit. Not something that I can conjure up or that you can conjure up. Not if we just try hard enough that eventually it'll, we, can, we can achieve this. No, this is a work of of God in and through us by His Spirit, this Paracletos, this Comforter, this Helper that He has sent us, and that's what Paul begins to provide. Move in this next section of Scripture, where he is moving out of this. This okay, who's hindered you? Who's as he goes back to verse seven? Who hindered you from uh, obeying the truth? I want you to obey the truth. And who's hindered you from that? They would would make you uh, obligated to keep the whole law. And as a result of just trying this man-made effort, this service service to God, that ultimately if we we try to please Him in that manner by our own works, He says you're actually severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law and that we'd actually have fallen away from grace. But He says, but it's for through, verse 5, through the Spirit, by faith. We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither anything, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only our faith working through love. And then he goes to verse 13, right before our passage that we'll be studying today. He says, for you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And that's when he says, so this, is, this is the freedom that we'd be given. He says, now in this, I want you to be careful that you're not being hindered from obeying the truth. And that you don't then, so what was, what's, how were they being hindered? Legalism. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. Whatever that criteria is, you do these certain things and you will be right with God. That's legalism. He says, I, Paul wants to say, I want to help you not to be living in legalism. But then he quickly moves as he walks to that in verse 13. And he says, but now listen, you were called to freedom. But don't now use it for an opportunity for you to gratify your flesh. Well, now that I don't have to follow all these rules in order to be made right with God. I'll just do whatever I want to do. That would be liberalism. And he wants to protect us from either ditch, right? And so how do we, how do, we do that? How do we... And remember, think about this. I want you to put us in perspective of where these Jews or these Gentiles are. Pagan worship, 
freedom in Christ from pagan worship. Their eyes have been opened. Their hearts have been transformed. Their eyes of their hearts have been enlightened to know the knowledge of who God is. And as they're walking through this, all of a sudden, people come in and go, no, wait a minute. You understand this was very Jewish, this religion that you're following now. And so as a result, you need to become legalistic in this. You need to follow these rules. And Paul's trying to guard them in that. But then on the other side, it's like, there's well, when I can be freed up from any rules, I just live however I want to live. And there's a danger there. And Paul says, let me, let me give you the means. God has granted his spirit that would give you wisdom to know that legalism is for nothing and liberalism counts for nothing. But it's trusting in the spirit. And so he encourages us, verse 16. But I say, if you're, not, if you're going to fulfill the whole law by the spirit, you're going to love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're not going to bite and devour one another, that we're not consumed by one another. He says, let me tell you how you're going to do this. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit. Now, that can mean a lot of things in our culture today. And this passage is going to be chock full of opportunities for us to hopefully bring clarity to this. And can I just tell you up front, at some point, for the vast majority of us in this room, at some point, you're going to... Hear me say something, and it's not going to go, it's, it's not going to sound right to you. It's going to I don't know, I don't, I don't trust this, or I've never seen that, or I, and I, I want you to just track with me. Just, I'm going to read these notes. I got the words of the scripture references here, but I want you to track with it because our world, our cultural Christianity, speaks a lot of the Spirit, and it's dangerous for you. That's not what the scripture is going to be talking about. So I want you to be careful. When he, what he means by walk by the spirit, you can discern it. And that others aren't more spiritual than you because they have more of an emotional response than you. That is not what Paul is talking about at all. And I want to guard us this morning. I don't want you simply learning your theology from CDs that you listen to or music that you listen to or movies that you watch or popular culture that you've seen or TBN. There's a lot of abuses of the Spirit. And we're all going to be influenced by some way or form or fashion by that. And I want us just to take our cues this morning from that. So if you see something, I'm not trying to target anyone in particular, but I do want to make sure that we, we walk through a biblical understanding of the Spirit's role in the life of the believer. Because I really pray this is going to be helpful for us this morning. I want, as I need help driving, right? And that's just one of the means of ways I need help today. But just like that, I wish I had a helper. This spirit is our helper that we would not gratify the desires of our flesh. That we'd walk in victory. Beyond, above and beyond legalism and liberalism this morning. Okay? That's what we want to do. So we're going to just begin to walk through some questions. And let it help us to be able to do that. So as we... Think about walking by the Spirit. So what does it mean then to walk by the Spirit? What does it mean when somebody's Paul's going to speak, speak here and that the pastor speak for itself when he communicates that we are supposed to walk by the Spirit? Number one, it's a believer then. So believers are the ones who have the Spirit of God. They've been adopted into the family of God, as it talked about earlier in Galatians. We've been adopted into sonship in him. And so a believer will submit to God's will continually. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Talk, take the, the word walk there. It's a progressive, present tense command with continuity that could be translated, keep on continually walking. And what does it mean to walk? 
step by step, moment by moment, degree by degree, that in each decision that I'm trying to make, um, plan for my day, uh, each step of the way, whether I'm my, this is my normative plans that I normally do each and every day, and this is my normative schedule, or my schedule's got thrown off because of weather or because of some kind of accident or whatever it may be. This man, how can I trust God one step at a time? This is the next step. I'll try to plan out in the future, and when we do, what does Matthew 6 tell us? When we start trying to plan for not only today but tomorrow and the next day and make sure that we, we're, we have comfort and convenience all the time, the Bible would say we begin to worry about all of that. And as we're worrying about that, we become anxious. It's sin. We don't want that. And so the Bible would encourage us. It's daily what we need. Our walk, this a believer continually submitting to God's will, as it speaks of here, that this is what it means to walk by the Spirit. So as a believer will submit to God's will continually, and a believer will deny oneself daily. So how do you, if the question is, then how do I submit to God's will continually? Well, how do I do that? I want to be very practical this morning. How do I do that? And the believer will then every day get up and all throughout the day continually deny myself daily. That's what it would mean. This is what the call of God is into our life unto salvation and the call of our lives to God unto sanctification. Right? It's what it means. And so Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, and he, Jesus speaking, said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's what it means. We identify ourselves with Christ. Christ died and we died with him on the cross. Right? He's been resurrected new life and God desires for us to walk in this new resurrected life. This is the picture and imagery of the scripture. And so to walk by the Spirit is not just some emotional Response that you have to something, this testing of things in a way, just like, well, I'm going to make some commitment to God and as a result of that. Now he's obligated to try to answer that. And it's not what that means at all. It's not this emotionalism. We're going to see specifically what it is here in just a few moments. But it's dying to myself, realizing that I'm not in control. And that's good. Because if so, this world would be in a worse mess than it already is. There's a good, loving, merciful, long-suffering, sovereign ruler of the universe. The creator, sustainer of this world. And we can trust him. And so this is the means by which you come to salvation. The means upon which we grow in sanctification. And so we will submit to God's will continually as a believer. And as a believer will deny oneself daily. So that's in essence what it means to walk by the Spirit. Step by step, moment by moment of each particular day. Not trying to plan it all out. That's where we get in a mess. Trust God right here in the moment. Things aren't going the way you want them. Then you begin to look look to Christ. Say, God, all this in me. I want to get mad because it didn't go my direction. Or I want to get upset because this didn't happen. Or I'm I'm worried because I'm... I can't control these these events and these circumstances. And at that moment, when you just submit and go, I'm not in control, Father. You're loving and you're good and you're gracious and you're kind and you're merciful. And even if everything goes bad here on this planet, guess what? You call me home. It's to a place that I can't even fathom. And it's good, right? Where there's no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow. And so we're not going to gratify our flesh. How do you do that? You walk by the Spirit. It's continual submission to God's will 
and denial of oneself. Continually and daily. Tracking with me? So just kind of general definition of what it means to walk by the Spirit. Now, then the question is, how does someone walk by the Spirit? How do we do that? How do we do this submitting to God's will continually and denying oneself daily? And guarding ourselves from statements that can be made, right? Things that we hear, people that we would, we would say are, are extremely spiritual or we begin to look at their life and like, man, I think they've got it figured out. But then as we begin to walk with them and we begin to talk with them, it's like, well, how do they make decisions? And how do they, how do they walk by the Spirit? I just want to read this excerpt from John MacArthur before we, we walk through our, our notes here. But just listen to this. It says, we have a walking life. That's what the Christian life is. It's just daily step by step, moment by moment, yielding to the Spirit of God. Walk is a general term by which our Christian life is defined. For example, in Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, the Bible says, walk in humility. In Romans 13, 13, it says, walk in purity. In 1 Corinthians 7, 17, it says, walk in contentment. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, walk in faith. In Ephesians 2, 10, it says, walk in good works. In Ephesians 4, 17, it says, walk differently than the world. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, it says, walk separated from sin. In Ephesians 5, 2 and 5, 3, it says, walk in love. In Ephesians 5, 8 and 9, it says, walk in light. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 5, 16, it says, walk in wisdom. And in John chapter 3, well, I'm sorry, 3 John 3 and 4, it says, walk in truth. So this day by day, by day by day walk is to be walked in humility and purity and contentment, faith, good works, differently separated from sin. It's to be a walk in love and light and wisdom and in truth. Just a walk, right? Walking in truth. So the question is, how do we, how do, we do that? And here's where I'm, I, I want to caution us because here's what I think in our culture, culturally, right, and this Christian culture, when I mean culturally, this Christian bubble in the, the South, here's what I believe it can happen. We can pervert the Bible just like they would with legalism. Right? The law was good, but, but they perverted it to try to be a means that they could earn righteousness before God, and it was wrong. But then you, want to, you realize, okay, that's busted, and that's not working, and so I was, then it's like, let's throw everything out, and man, we're thankful for grace, and it becomes liberalism, and we live however I want, we want to. And here's what we can realize. In our flesh, we'll define what that is in just a few moments. But in, in this fallenness that we are prior to salvation, we are going to take the good things of God and pervert them. Right? If you take drink and it becomes drunkenness. You take food and it becomes gluttony. You take um, marital intimacy and it becomes fornication. We'll take all of these things and we just... We, we mess them up because in our flesh we're corrupt to the core of who we are. And so we will take a term like walk by the Spirit. And guess what we do in our natural man? We will make something out of it. And so people have been in the office with Pastor Tim and myself, maybe many of you, and say, I, God's, God's led me to divorce my spouse. I feel led of God to do this. I know I begin to look at the scripture and we begin to encourage them in the word and says, well, you understand what the scripture would say and the qualifications and the exception clauses there with divorce and begin to ask them about that. And there was no, no, no clarifying passage that would give them any form of freedom for divorce. And they've said, but listen, and if you've ever played cards, you've ever played um, spades, right? 
Ace of spades, right? Trump card. Nothing else can, can touch it. You lay that down, and you, you can win any hand with the trump card. And in our culture today, let me tell you what the trump card is that you can't touch. God led me to do this. I feel led of the Spirit. I have the peace of God to do this or do that. And what do you and I do? What if you're the spouse being left? What if you're the business partner that is being left holding the bag when your self-proclaimed Christian chose to bail out of your business dealings? Is there any means to help us in this? Is there any way we can ever tell someone that they're wrong? Or to encourage people when they're right? Because they're going to doubt that sometimes as well because the world is so opposite of that. How How do we aid people to be able to say, that's not... I don't care what you say. The Spirit would not lead you to do this. And it's not wrapped up in some kind of an emotional response. People how do, how, be in my office or Pastor Tim's office and they say, well, listen, Pastor, I, there's a young lady I, I want to marry. And tell me about her. Oh, she's, she's great. She's great. I mean, she's beautiful and She's kind. She's loving. And I just love Valentine's Day because I get to love on her because it's Valentine's Day. And I get to love on her. And I'm so excited. I just love this time of year. And, and I, man, I, I really thought she's the one. How do you know she's the one? I was reading. And it's in the book of Judges. And it's this really weird kind of obscure passage. There's this guy named Jephthah. And he made this vow to God. And he said, Lord, if you'll grant me the victory over this, over these, these enemy the next thing that walks through that door, I will sacrifice it to you. And I was reading it. And I felt the Spirit tell me, Kevin, the next woman that walks through that door is going to be your wife. And I sat there for like five hours. And finally, a woman walked through that door, and I knew she was the one. I went over and started talking to her, and we had all kinds of things in common. Now, how in the world... If, I, if you were counseling that individual, would you begin to help them? Right? They take some descriptive thing that happens in the Bible and they make it prescriptive. Like the Bible's prescribing every one of us to do this. Make a vow to God and now we've, we're holding him captive to the things that are our whims and our wills and our wishes. Or if you take the same kind of mindset as we would interpret scripture and say, reason, pastor, I think I should be divorcing my spouse is I was reading through Genesis and it said, cast out the slave woman. And her son. And I thought, you know what? That's what I have. That old ball and chain. And my son that I don't love anymore. Man, they, they don't, they're not grateful to me. And I said, I'm going to do like Abraham did. I'm casting you out. The slave woman and her child. And I am free from this. Is that how we interpret the Bible? Now, if we're not careful, that is exactly how we will interpret the Bible. And it will seem spiritual to do so. Right? And then why? We can't, we can't debate with anybody because the Spirit of God led them to do it. And they've got a biblical warrant or passes to, as their proof text. That's the danger of operating in the flesh, not the Spirit. So how do we how do, we do this? And here's where I, it might seem foreign to you, but I really, if we can grasp this, it's going to free us up this morning, and it's going to help us as a body of Christ that's coming together. We encourage each other, walk with one another, and encourage other people. So how do we do this? How, how does someone walk by the Spirit of God? Number one, you renew your mind in the Word of God. Daily, this is how you would submit to God's will continually and deny yourself, deny oneself daily, is by renewing your mind 
continually and daily in the Word of God. Now, just in case you don't believe me in this, this is a variety of passages here I have listed in your notes. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're going to go through this super fast. You know, I try to make it there in all of them. I'm going to read them for you. But they're listed there in your notes. If I cover anything before, I'll, I'll make mention of that so you can write it down, right? And here's what we want to begin to think through. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how, how are we going to discern and test what is this will of God, this Good will of God, this acceptable will of God, this perfect will of God. You have your minds renewed. Not some emotional feeling, not something to vow or commitment that you make to God. And we, we, we rep, because the things we want, we're going to make everything work to where it fits toward our, our, our end goal. We say, no, we know we're, we're not right in how we think. And we need to be trained to know how to think a, a biblical way. And so we start with the word of God and say, you transform me. I'm going to be conformed to this world. I'm going to pervert your, your scripture. I'm going to pervert your word. You transform me by this. And that's a foreign concept for us. You think about what it means. When Jesus was asked, Matthew chapter 22, 36 through 40, if you want to write that down. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. What did, they were tested to be able to say, what was the greatest commandment? Right? The lawyers came up to Jesus and said, hey, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength. Everything that you are. Why is it that we don't focus in on the mind? We focus on the emotion. And we attribute everything to the spirit in an emotional sense. Devoid of thinking with the mind. But it's exactly here it says. If you want to know what the will of God is. It requires the mind. The mind must be transformed. You have to think differently. And the spirit will grant us this. But it will accompany the word. That's why the spirit... Jesus would encourage the disciples, says, and when I leave, the Spirit of God will come to you. The Paracletos, his helper is going to come to you, and he's going to bring to remembrance everything that I've spoken to you. He's going to honor the word that was spoken that would give praise to the Son so that we could be reconciled to the Father. This is the role of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, of judgment, of righteousness. That's just a ethereal thing that gets what we want. And so Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're worshiping God with the mind. Then it's just in there, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Ephesians 4, 23 says this. In verse 22, it says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Spirit of your mind. Spirit's going to accompany our thought patterns, our thoughts of life, so we can be able to honor Christ in this. So how do we do that? How do we keep our minds focused on the things of God? Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. So I want my mind to be on the things that are above, the things that are not on the earth here in this present world. Then how do I do that? I begin to look at the Scripture, and where did the Scripture come from? From God. Where's God? He's, he's everywhere, right? He's, his throne is in the heavens, things that are above. Philippians 2, if you're still not convinced yet, that we should worship God with our mind. Look at Philippians 2, beginning in verse 4, and then verse 5. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men. What, what does he want us to have that Christ have? The same mind. What was it mind? A mind of humility. A mind that was going to submit to God's will continually and deny myself daily. I want to honor God with my mind. And then back to Romans chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Listen to what it says. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You should begin to see what God's saying here. He says, if you continue to put worthless things before you, as the psalmist says, I will put no worthless thing before my eyes. You continue to put worthless things before you. We will pervert it. Right? We will continue to live by those things. Worthless types of mindsets rather than being conformed to the image of Christ. But how do we be conformed to the image of Christ? We begin to look at what the word says and begin to aid us in that. And so then you say, well, okay, well, how does, how does this work for us, though? How do we make sure that because I see like brothers and sisters that I love. And they'll like say they hear from God and they make decisions by God and and they're walking, they're growing in Christ and. What is the spirit's role in that? How do we can discern? Because not everything says like I should eat at McDonald's today or not eat at McDonald's today. And I don't know whether I should eat at McDonald's today or not. Right? We can, it can go practical, but you're looking through the scripture to help us. And so I want to show you, just in case you think, well, I'm not completely there. I want to show you two passages that I believe say the same thing, but use one says it's the spirit that leads you to do this. And the other one says it's the word of God that leads you to do this. You want, you want to track with me on this? A little, little, just a little study here. All right, walk with me. Uh, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, so just hang a right from Galatians. Ephesians 5, we're going to pick up in verse 15. Now you're going to see words about walking and the Spirit of God and all this is going to be 5, 15 through 21. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. And then we're going to flip over and we're going to look at Colossians, which is just two books over, right? So we'll go from Ephesians into Philippians and Colossians. So track with me. I want you to see this. I'm going to try to help us. So we want to begin to see attributes, the Spirit and it's accompanying the word. Ephesians five fifteen. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we begin to think about walking by the Spirit. What do we say? A believer will submit to God's will continually. So don't be, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? I believe this is a comparison and a contrast, by the way. It's a contrast because one's wine and one's a spirit. Clear contrast. Not the same. Let's not think they're the same. I believe their comparison is that when a person's drunk, they will begin to behave in ways they don't normally behave, will begin to believe things or or, uh, think things that they don't normally say, and will begin to do things or say things they don't normally say. And can I tell you, from my natural man, my flesh, when the spirit is inside of me. He is in control of me. I will say things I normally say. I'll be bold as a lion. I will behave in manners that's not the old Kevin. Right? I will think differently of how I view others. I will see them as either saved or unsaved. 
And so this is what he's saying. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now he's going to give explanation of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. How do we, how do, we do this? And he says, being filled with spirits spirit, so be addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he continues. Now, how does this work its way out? That was submitting one to another, but then he's going to tell you how to do that with husbands and wives and then children and then slaves and masters and then the armor of God. And here's how he's going to walk through what it means to, to be filled with the Spirit. Now, hold that place. You're going to see almost a synonymous passage in Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3 Look at verse 16 and 17. So he says, be filled with the Spirit. Now look what he says in verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then it moves on exactly the almost exact same things, right? Begin to walk through husbands and wives and, and further instructions for the believer to be able to follow. I want us to pick up on is those two statements. It would be filled with the Spirit and give some instructions. But then here in Colossians 3 it says, But let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I believe those can be synonymous. That the Spirit would lead us to understand the word, the glory of the Son, to be reconciled with the Father. And so there's the danger then. Let's take our modern view of the Spirit. The modern view of the Spirit is, let's let the Spirit lead us apart from the word. I felt led to do this. Well, how do you, what's your biblical grounding for doing this or doing that? I have no idea. I just, I have a piece about it. All they're doing is throwing the, Trump card down. You can't say or ask me anything about this. Well, that's how does any pastor help somebody? That's just where they end up. No, we must help you. And I must submit to the word as equally as you must submit to the word. And so let's let the word lead us, guide us. And so then how do we do that? Well, you'll see even in this, I wouldn't have time to be able to look at this today, but if you just for your notes, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17. Colossians 3, 5 through 17, and Ephesians 4, 22 through 32, right? So same passage that we were in, right around the same sections that we, uh, we just read to you. Colossians 3, 5 through 17, and then Ephesians 4, 20 through, 22 to 32, you're going to hear language like this, put on and put off or put to death. And this is what it means that you begin to live or walk by the Spirit. It's going to give us instructions of things to do by the word that the spirit will enable, allow us to understand, to interpret accurately, empower, enable us to do and do it joyfully. To Put on right positive things and to put off or put to death negative things. This is the same thing we're seeing here in this passage in Galatians, right? It's exactly what it's telling us to do. As he was in the past, it says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will put on what you're supposed to put on and you'll put off the things that you're not supposed to. And all that's tied to the word. And the biggest thing I want you to hear today is do not be deceived by television or movies. And even movies made by good people. It may have nuggets of unhelpful truths to it that can spin off into a much more dangerous place than you want to arrive. You've got to be grounded in the word. It's the only authority that we have. 
Renew your mind in the word of God. So how somebody walk by the Spirit? Renew your mind in the word of God and pray for obedience to the will of God. The word will then tell us what to do, but now you'll begin to see there's a struggle there, right? That's like the law. The law would say, have no other gods before me. Worship any other creator, make any graven images, right? And we begin to see those and we go, okay, I didn't. Do not take the Lord's name in a, in, a, in a manner that would be vain, right? Flippantly. Or clearly we wouldn't want to curse God by his name. Honor the Sabbath. You continue to go on and on. Honor your mother and father. Not steal. Lie. Commit adultery. Murder. Covet. So you just begin to walk through. And you think, well, the law was there. But they weren't enabled to, to obey it. And so the way is now we want to, the Spirit's there to help us to renew our mind in the Word of God, but the Spirit's there to also to help us for obedience to that will, to enable us to accomplish it. And so as we begin to read it, we begin to say, God, I'm not there. Help me today not to be anxious for anything, to bring these supplications to you with thanksgiving. And that when I trust you, that you're good and you're gracious, and I'm placing my trust in you in this, I brought this request to you, I know you'll hear me and you'll answer me, then the peace that I have is what your Spirit will grant to me as I trust you. And then he's the one, by the Spirit, that empowers us to live this life. And so this is what this was saying. I'll give you Ephesians 1 is a, a great example of that type of praying. Ephesians 1, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you all, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him. What is this speaking of? Revelation of who he is. How are we going to figure out who he is? By the word of God, correct? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all the things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the type of prayer. So how do you walk by the Spirit? Word saturated, right? Word saturated. And the Word of God and the Spirit of God work in tandem. And then you begin to look at your life and say, I know I fall short of that. And that leads us to supernatural Supernatural living, because why? We will then begin beseeching Him. We'll begin communing with God in prayer, helping us to be able to do that. Things that are rooted and grounded in the Word. Not some mystical form of emotionalism that's not rooted and grounded in the Word. You tracking with me? If so, just kind of give me a nod. Make you track with me? Okay. Now we're going to move much, much quicker, I think, as we walk through this. So the question then would be, why should you walk by the Spirit? So we've seen what it means to walk by the Spirit and how someone walks by the Spirit. So but why should we walk by the Spirit? And that's what 16, 17, and 18 will help us with. First, it is commanded. It is a command for the believer to obey. Why should you walk by the Spirit? Because you're commanded to do so. That's what verse 16 communicates to us as we read Ephesians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. That's our command. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Right? So we're commanded. Do this so that you won't do this. So then what's the second thing there? Why should you walk by the Spirit? It's because it's commanded for believers to obey. It is the means to conquer sin in the flesh. Right? So it says you will not gratify the desires of the flesh in verse 16. But then look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. 
and desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. All right? So this is exactly what Paul was saying in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 7, it talks about the law and the and, this, and, uh, and it, the law and its effects on us as people. Now, we don't want to obey the law, and, how we, uh, and the law shows us our sin, the things that we do want to do, we don't do, and the things we don't want to do, we do those things. And then what does he move? He moves right into chapter 8. He said, but there's therefore no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to talk about the Spirit's work in our lives. And all chapter 8 is just about the Spirit. We cry out, Abba, Father, and the Spirit bears witness of our spirit that we are children of God. And all of creation groans for this new creation and the Spirit's work in all of this. And this is what this, it's just sharing and, and saying. And so the question is, well, let's understand what the flesh is. What is this flesh that's talking about to make sure we understand what it is? And the Bible can be used in a couple of different ways. One, it means a physical body, right? Just talking about flesh in its physical sense. I have a body or it's my flesh. And it's just this that you can hear as I clap my hands together. That you can hear as I pat my chest. This is just flesh. It's physical body and it's used in a variety of different passages luke 24 romans chapter 6 and a variety of others just speaking of our humanness or our bodies but it can also mean in more of a spiritual way uh human effort as we see in galatians chapter 3 verse 3 right it says here are you so foolish having begun by the spirit you are now being perfected by the flesh right so we still have connotations to this physicalness of our body, but more so that the human effort that's being produced by this body. I can do works of righteousness, and so at some points I can earn my, my righteousness as well the things that I do. So it can be human effort, as it means to attain righteousness in that sense, or it can be human works, as we'll see in this particular passage in Ephesians 5. I'm sorry, Galatians 5, where it talks about now, the works of the flesh are evident and begins to talk about all this litany of sins that we, we perform by our flesh. So what is it? What is this flesh as we begin to think through, through this? This is, this is what our body is and has prior to salvation. And even after salvation, it still exists. But this is the fallen nature of us. And it's not our, I don't want to begin to get in some kind of dualistic mindset. It's just like, well, the spirit's good and the flesh is bad. And as a result of that, that it's like, why well, I'm... Um, Material things are bad, and it got kind of dualistic, right? So only the things, and that's where the Gnostics got in trouble. It was like all material things are bad, right? And so I know this chair has no spiritual value whatsoever. It's neither good nor bad. It's neutral. I can use it in a manner that could be dishonoring to God, or I can use it in a manner that would be honoring to God, right? I could take it and smash someone over the head with it, and I would... Use it in a manner that we want honor to God. Or I can sit and wash somebody's feet or give them a rest or give them a cold, cold cup of cold water. And it would be, I'll be able to utilize that chair in a manner that would be pleasing to God. But the chair itself has no value. And so I don't want you to get a mindset that it's like, has no, it's like some kind of a dualistic mindset of like spiritual is good and material is bad. But I do want us to understand, and then this, this context is that it is fallen in its nature. And it will not, and, and for us, is that, our flesh will not bring about the things of God. Only the Spirit will do so. And so in its human effort, its human works, it's not going to honor God in it and by it. And so this flesh is going to create conflicts in our relationships. It's going to create anxiety. It's going to create anger. It's going to create fear. This flesh, as far as human effort, is going to lead to legalism, right? So in our human effort, we want to think, well, just like we talked about legalism or Moral therapeutic deism, right? So we want to try to do things, and we're worshiping the things that we do. And we just hope we can buy, provide 
um, positive benefits to us. Pragmatism. It works, so do it. Right? Are we talking about it in our worry class? If you just set aside 15 minutes to worry, active worry in the morning, and 15 minutes of active worry in the evening, it's pragmatic, it'll help you not to be worrying all day. But the Bible says what? Do not worry, ever. But that people say, but it's pragmatism, it's working, it's helping me. Humanism, man's self-efforts, hedonism. None of nothing else works. I just want to have a great time. I just want to just enjoy my life. Materialism, if I just buy more things, I'll be, I'll be happy. And then the opposite of that, asceticism. If I just rid myself of everything, I'll be happy. And these are all the efforts of the flesh. But the Bible says, but the Spirit. Why do we walk by the Spirit? We're commanded to, but it's a means to conquer sin in the flesh. These things that come out as a result of this. And this is what the Spirit does. What, verse 7. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they oppose each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. But verse 16 says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a command and it is a means to conquer sin. Lastly, why I walk by the Spirit is a display. It is a display that there is no conflict with the law. And when you begin to think about human effort, legalism or liberalism. Verse 18 says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What's it saying? There's no conflict with the law when you're led by the Spirit. How do we, why, why is that the case? Well, if you go back to verse 13 in our previous section, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law was fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know what genuine freedom and victory is? Walk by the Spirit. It's not in conflict with the law. It's in harmony with the law. All right, so that's why you should walk by the Spirit. And I also look at some evidences that either you are or you're not. You are not walking by the Spirit. Let's first look at the negative. What evidence are present that I'm not walking by the Spirit? Which would mean I'm walking by the flesh. We will, have, we will behave in sinful ways in the fall. Uh, we will behave in sinful ways, first of all, sexually. So it says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. And it's now going to tell you how those are evidence. And our sexuality, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Sexual morality, impurity, and sensuality. Sexual immorality is just anything that would be outside the marriage bed. Impurity would be looking at things that are pornographic in nature. And sensuality is a, just an open lifestyle that does not care. That it's in direct disagreement with the scriptures. And so, evidence you're not walking by the Spirit will behave in sinful ways in any of those sexually. Number two, will behave in sinful ways religiously. Look at verse 20. It speaks about idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is simply, simply just the worship of anything but God himself. We can do that with the way we, with religious forms, how we would do that. But it's not just religion in a sense of like institutions, but it's any way that we worship. We can worship our work, we can worship our spouse, worship our kids. Anything that you want that you're willing to send to get it can be a form of idolatry. And it's a sorcery, which is interesting here. In the Greek language, it's actually where we derive our word pharmacy. Speaking of drugs. Commentators that I read begin to communicate that it was, it was tied to sorcery because they would oftentimes in their various forms of sorcery or witchcraft would associate and tie drugs to that. And so they'd have this 
this um, enhancing spiritual moment, so they think, because it was tied to some drug that they had taken, and it was leading to some form of pagan worship. And that's why it was eventually became known as sorcery. But it's really where we get our word drugs or pharmacy in the English language. And so religiously, we would do things and behave ways that's not pleasing to God as it relates to what we worship. Relationally, verse 20 and 21, we'll behave in sinful ways, not only sexually, religiously, but then relationally, 20 and 21, you begin to see this list. After sorcery, it says enmity. Strife and jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. It's all how we relate to one to another. And all of which are negative in how we relate to one another. You know, self-pity, where self-pity is really rooted from. You look around at other people and you're envious, you're covetous of their life. And you think, why shouldn't I have this? Why do they have something I don't have? It's envy. Now, we, we spin it to where we're the victim, but it's rooted in envy. And then from that envy, it leads to divisions and dissensions and rivalries, fits of anger and jealousy, strife and enmity. All because what? I wanted what somebody else had. I tell you, that's, that's, that's what is rampant in our church culture amongst pastors. Let me just pick on my profession. This guy's got a big church over here. He's doing it this way. It seems to be working. And it's pragmatism. And so we rip out. We forget the Spirit of God who brings life. We forget God's the one who's doing the work. We forget God's the one who brings uh, dead men and dead women to life. And we begin to think, well, that's how this will work. If I just step one, step two, step three, step four, just like this church did it, then eventually I'll become like them and we will have success. The problem is success isn't determined. By the number of people in the seats. Success is determined by the obedience. The Spirit's work. Let's give it to you that way. In the life of those who are in the seats. That's God's work. Now, do I want every seat filled? Absolutely. And do I want churches being planted out of this church? Absolutely. But it's only far as in as much as God's doing the work in and through us to accomplish it. We can't manufacture this. We must walk by the Spirit, moment by moment, step by step, day by day, as we're just trusting Christ in each of the moments that He grants us. To trust Him, obey Him, to submit to His will continually and to deny ourselves daily. As we renew our minds in the Word of God and pray for obedience to the will of God, as we obey this command to conquer sin and, and, and our flesh and that's not in conflict with the Word, then all of a sudden we begin to re- realize, well, then I've got problems in my life sexually, or I got problems in my life religiously or relationally. And then it can lead that it's excessively becoming abundant in my life. That's what verse 21 would say. Drunkenness. That's an excessiveness in drinking, orgies, and things like these. Excess. That my life is being characterized by excessiveness in each of those. So it's in sinful ways excessively. Now there's real danger there. And I'm just going to list these for you. We don't have time to unpack each of these, but we'll come to them and we'll cover most of these. But I want to list them here for you. There's a variety of other lists all throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Romans 1, 28 through 32. Revelations 21, 7 and 8. And I want to just list those down. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Romans 1, 28 through 32. Revelations 21, 7 and 8. It's going to give you more, more lists than what's actually listed here. And that's what it looks like. It's what's evidence 
when we're not walking according to the Spirit? Real quick question. Any of those in us? Those we need to be working on? When I say working on, let me be careful that you understand what I mean when I say that. That you are renewing your mind in the Word of God and you're praying by the Spirit's will to have obedience to God. That's what I mean by working on it. Not just self-help. All right, so that's the negative. Let's look at the positive. What are the what evidence are that are present that I am walking by the Spirit? Oh, I love these. This is when it gets it's good. All right, evidence that I'm walking by the Spirit. Number one, we will bear fruit of the Spirit. We will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Verses twenty two and twenty three. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control. When we're talking through marital counseling, we're talking through premarital counseling, talking through looking for somebody who's a believer, one of the things, or looking for a spouse, one of the things we say is look for a believer. But it's hard today because in our Christian culture, you ask somebody, "Are you, are you a Christian?" Yes, everyone's a Christian. And now you got to begin to discern whether or not what they say is true. If they tell you no. At least that's a helpful thing, right? And it was, okay, I shouldn't be pursuing them for marriage, number one. Number two, I'm grateful for that. Because most of the time in our Christian South, just to be honest with you as a pastor, I have to try to get people lost before they can get saved. And not because I want them to be lost, but if they're deceived, they're walking in known sin, having no walking in known sin, and yet they believe they're a believer. They have no biblical foundation for that. And so we have to get them lost before they can get them saved because why? We've inoculated them with this religious culture called the South. Right. And so it's difficult. I love talking with people from up north because why? It's not the case most of the time. Or from out west, it's not the case. There's a weird religious culture that we can have because we perverted the scriptures. And so in this, we're helping people. Then one of the ways to help people is to go, would you see fruit of the spirit? If they're born again, the fruit will be evidence in their life. And so rather than being selfish and self-centered, are they loving and selfless? Rather than being full of, as we're looking at the next one, the peace of God, rather than being full of anxiety and worry and fear, do they have peace? Rather than being impatient, difficult to deal with, complaining, they're patient. They walk through and they go through each of these. But this question is, they do have evidences that you can begin to look at. And is my life, is your life characterized by that? Are they an emo- going all the way to the end? Are they an emotional rag that you're just waiting to set them off and you're walking on eggshells? Because why? They do not demonstrate self-control. That is not a characteristic. If you're just waiting for somebody to get set off, there's a fly off the handle at a moment's notice. That's not an evidence of a person who's walking by the Spirit. Not a characteristic. So they will bear the fruit of the Spirit and they will enjoy the freedom of the Spirit. Verse 23. I've alluded to this earlier, but be clear. Against such things, what are these things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's freedom in that, right? The laws would prohibit us or caution us or constrain us, but there's no law to those things. We can walk in freedom and enjoy the freedom of the Spirit. It's what verse 5 and 6 was telling us about in the same passage. For through the Spirit... By faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working 
through love. Same thing in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, and not use your freedom as opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is, you're not under the law. You're free. And that's what Paul's argument is this whole time. Well, what danger is there to not walking by the Spirit? Get pretty heavy, and then we're going to see some benefits, and we'll be, we'll be finished. What danger is there to not walking by the Spirit? Number one, there is, if you don't walk by the Spirit, there is no assurance of salvation practically. There's no tangible expressions that can grant you assurance. Now, be careful what you're not hearing me say. You know, I'm speaking of earning or meriting your salvation, but just like 1 John says, how can you say you love God whom you've not seen and don't love your brother whom you can see? It's not saying if you love your brother, then you will be saved. It's saying the evidence is that you are saved, is that you love the person in front of you when you can love them with the love that God gave you to the love of the God, the God the Father you've never seen before. How does that happen? That's spiritual. This shows the work of the Spirit, that we've been born again. We're born from above. And so if we're not honoring God with our lives... Those fruits are being evidenced, and we should have no assurance of our salvation. If you're being dominated by a particular sin, that's what's going to happen. And can I just be honest, over the course of my eight years here, the most of the people who feel like I'm being condemning are the ones who are walking with some known sin in their life. When I talk to somebody, and they say, man, I just feel like you're just wailing on us. And at some point throughout the time of my conversation with them and just walking through them, there's going to be some known sin that they're being dominated by. For the vast majority, not always, I'm saying always, but for the vast majority of the time, that's what's happening. And I want to go, well, listen, there's an issue that the Spirit of God's going to keep pressing in and pressing in and pressing in and saying, that's got to go. It's, it's, an, it's an opposition to the things of the Spirit that's got to go. But what do they hear? They, they want to kill the messenger and not listen to the message. The Spirit is wooing you. Now, I could probably do a better job of how I communicate. Working on that. Working on that. But the message is true. Message is true. And so there's no assurance of salvation practically. And that's, that's, listen to this, verse 21. Verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What's things? That's that list of evidences of walking in the flesh. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those verses I gave you earlier, they're all here, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Revelations 21, 7 and 8, and I wrote, put Romans 1 that I gave to you just a few moments ago. You can look those up. They, each of those will say the same thing. If you live this way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I do want you to learn one section. Look at the last reference there, 1 John 3. I want you to see this. That I'm walking through with somebody. We're, Pastor Tim and I are, Trying to help somebody. And we, we, we are trying to help them. We go through their testimony. We've got to reconcile some of these things that are in the scripture. So what does it mean if you think, well, I do some of those things. Shall I not have any assurance of salvation? Does that mean if I do those things and I'm, I'm an unbeliever? So let the scripture give us some encouragement. First John 3, beginning in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice. So what it's saying is not if you do those things once, you're immediately qualified as an unbeliever. It means it's habitual practice in your life. You're characterized by this. Are you characterized by drunkenness? Now, you got to be careful. How much is too much? Well, characterized by adultery, 
Once a month, that characterized me as adulterous. My wife wouldn't like one, right? Much less once a month, right? So we've got to be cautious and careful. That's why God, he wants us to be, he intends it to be scary. Why? He wants to warn us from it. But anyone who practices, makes a practice of sinning, also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawless. Lawlessness. You know that he has appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. It means keeps on making it a practice of sin. No one who keeps on sin, sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, think about that. Somebody who walks in habitual sin, the Bible would say, they don't know Christ. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, was to destroy sin, is what it's saying. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, uh, who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The Bible is saying, be, be, be careful. You will have no assurance of salvation. If you walk by the flesh. That's why Paul was saying, do not be deceived. Who's hindering you? What is he hindering you from doing? From obeying the truth. And where's that battle, where's that battle reside? Not only in your heart, it resides in your mind. That's why it says, take every thought captive and bring it to the obedience of Christ. That's why I do not let those who want to be supercharged emotionally tell you that the Spirit's leading them to do things and lead you to do other things that's not true. Stay grounded in the Word. It's a battle for your mind. There's no assurance of salvation practically if you're not walking by the Spirit. So that's the danger. And there's no freedom from sin personally. There's no assurance of salvation practically and there's no freedom from sin personally. Look at verse 17 again. For desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You want to live in holiness. You want to live in righteousness. Be ye holy as I am holy, the scripture would say. And you say, yes, with all your might. I want to do that. But if you're operating by the flesh, be careful. It will enslave you to sin. See, it wasn't exactly what he was telling them before. Formerly, verse, chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by by nature are not gods, but now you have come to know God, rather be known by God. How can you again turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Be careful. All right, lastly, what benefits is there to walking by the Spirit? These are quick, pretty self-explanatory. What benefits do we have? Walking by the Spirit, number one, grants us victory over the flesh. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've overcome the world. We've overcome this body. One day we'll be free from the very presence of sin. Because we will have resurrected bodies that are perfect. It grants us victory over the flesh. What benefits do we have by walking by the Spirit? It grants us confidence in our faith. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let's also walk by the Spirit. Now here's the key. What does he mean by that? You might think, well, I can't walk by the Spirit. I can't. Exactly. You cannot. But great news. What did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's what he means there when he says, if we live by the Spirit. I'm dead to the flesh. 
It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's saying, if I've been made alive, if we live by the flesh, I mean, we live by the Spirit, then guess what? He will empower us to walk by the Spirit. That's great news for every believer here this morning. You've been made alive by God. He hasn't finished with you yet. He will empower you, enable you, not only to be freed from sin, uh, from the penalty of sin, but freed from the power of sin. To walk in holiness. Grants us confidence in our faith. And lastly, grants us unity with the fellowship. Verse 26. So let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See how he continues to tie this? And you're going to see next week as we want to bear one another's burden. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a tremendous challenge. I think practically where we're at as a body of Christ. Moving with our covenant. We're going to get tremendous explanation about the co- why we're talking about the covenant. Why we'd want to talk about the covenant. A lot's going to be explained next week, even as we walk through Galatians chapter 6. So question for us this morning. Are we walking by the Spirit? And I will say this, in walking through a, a couple of our members' meetings, it's, it's, it's brought forth some sin, right? You know what's been amazing as we've talked through some of that? Is we're going to say, listen, you've got a decision to make. Do you want to trust God? Or you can continue to operate by your flesh where you feel safe. And in both scenarios, the person is saying, I want to, I want to trust God. And so that's going to cost you, I bet. You've got to go have some conversations. It's going to cost you. And it's going to require you to demonstrate faith. Because why? You're trusting the word, what the word tells you. It's going to require you then to demonstrate faith. And then can I tell you what happened in our conversation? It's just beautiful. Now they realize they need God because they can't just operate by their own power. They need God to show up. And then guess what they begin to do? They begin to realize they need the body because then they start saying, well, you pray for me because I've got to go have some conversations that I know are going to be difficult. And so they require faith. They trust God. They begin to lean on the body. Right? And then they get to see God at work. How much of what you and I do have we so tried to control our circumstances that we don't need God to help us? Whereas, the more you try to obey the word, the more you begin to realize you can't in your own flesh, and the more you begin to become dependent upon the spirit, seeking God in prayer, clarity from the word, and a need of the body of Christ. And that's when this thing we're doing and what we're trying to do is start to get more biblical in our conversations becomes and the world will begin to take notice. Trust me. Now trust me. Trust the Bible. Trust the Bible as I'm trusting it. Little Cherokee Baptist may not ever become big Cherokee Baptist by numbers. But God's never quantified himself based upon numbers. If you read Deuteronomy, it says, why did he choose Israel? They were weak. Useless. So why? He could show how great and powerful he is. For his name's sake, I will act, says the Lord. Will you yield to him today that he could act on your behalf? And whatever might be a dominating issue or dominating situation or dominating circumstance in your life, walk by the Spirit. And know this, just lastly, you're not here listening to this just for you. 
You might have a family member or a friend or a coworker, classmate, former church member who absolutely needs to hear this message. Please be obedient to share. Reproduce what you've received. Let's pray. Father, thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.